5 premiere. And with us today, of course, I have my partner in crime, Blake Hotchkiss. Blake, hi. Hey, how is everyone out there? Awesome. It's exciting to get these going again. We are we are just honored to have Emily Levy and Emma Widmar. Emily is the co-founder of Mighty Well, and Emma is actually one of the Mighty Well ambassadors. So ladies, welcome to our show. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. Well, we're yes, excited okay. to have you so much. So Emily, let's talk a little bit about Mighty Well. Tell people that don't know, the few folks out there that don't know Mighty Well, tell us a little bit about your company. Mighty Well is a medical technology company that I started out of my own need as a patient living with vascular access. We've designed a number of products, including a PIC protector, um, which is probably our best known product at this point. Other products include an infusion backpack, Mighty Well masks. But one of the things I'm most proud of is the community that we've created for patients to be educated on how to live a productive life while living with long-term chronic illness, many of whom um, live with long-term vascular access. Thank you. And Emma, Mighty Well Ambassador, tell us more yeah. about that. And how did you become to be Ambassador Widmar? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a long time coming. Um, because of social media, I connected with Mighty Well and saw what they were doing um, kind of from an early standpoint. And from there, I became a friend of Emily's and started growing within her community, learning about the products she was developing, um, explaining my needs and concerns as a patient living with chronic illnesses. And from there, I think it was just a natural um, relationship and I wanted to promote these products to share what Emily was doing with Mighty Well, not because of a, you know, a discount code or, um, you know, a referral program, but because I really believed in what this company was doing for people like myself. Um, so it all started out because of my own needs, um, but also, you know, being an advocate and seeing what these things could do for other people too. Thank you so much. And Blake, I know we hear all the time about patients that go home and the lack of education they often get. And I think these two ladies in particular can talk volumes, but tell us a little bit about what you hear from the community that and we get a lot of email here at Avon. <laughs> That's true. You know, and I'll be honest with you, in my clinical background, I was working in quality assurance. And one of the big, big things is, uh, you know, the hospital to home kind of realm and the disconnect that patients, you know, may or not feel. But <clears throat> what we as clinicians can see sometimes is, you know, there's a clear plan while you're in the hospital. And then how do we connect people efficiently with resources? How do we get them the timely follow-up after an acute hospital stay? Um, you know, I, I know that's a little different than when you're living with a chronic illness, but, you know, it's something that happens every day. And that means, you know, do they have the right type of vascular access for their care needs when they leave the, the acute care setting? Uh, do they have the in-home treatments uh, that they need or therapies or follow-up uh, with an infusion center? Um, you know, and I know, you know, when you're living with a chronic illness, some some of that's 
you know, some of the therapies are sometimes uh, discovered or self-driven, I think, uh, you know, like especially like Lyme disease and sort of things like that. You learn more about your community and people who have that illness when you're outside of the healthcare setting and how important that is. And I know uh, just just from that acute to, to post-acute care transition uh, is something that's so, so missing or lacking. And I don't think... You know, some people do it really well, and then there are many, many others that still struggle with that transition of care. Um, you know, and that's something like we work on in the Beyond Acute Care Special Interest Group as far as uh, finding people who are passionate in that space uh, from a clinical standpoint, from a public standpoint, and how do we make a difference um, in our communities and our healthcare settings. So. Perfect segue yeah. to our partnership with Mighty Well between Ava and Mighty Well. You guys have created a patient-facing um, guide, if I, if you will, about how to live with a PIC. And tell us a little bit more about it, Emily. I am so grateful, and it honestly feels like a dream come true to have a partnership with Ava. Uh, together, we developed the Ultimate Guide to PICs, which came out of uh, first my own pain points, but later speaking to so many members of our community who, as Blake was saying, were, you know, had lines placed in a hospital setting, they were transitioning into home, and they felt like they were really left, you know, up a creek alone. <laughs> and we would get so many emails, uh, direct messages on social media, um, with very targeted questions and problems. So we said, you know, why not create um, a certified guide with Ava so that patients will know not only more about the organization, that, but that this is trusted information. And we also wanted to take more of a patient-facing, um, you know, education with the, our community, because so many times as patients were given, you know, medical documents, and sometimes it can go a little bit over our head, or if things are explained to us in a home care setting, it could be that we're just so overwhelmed or not feeling well that day. We felt like having a physical document to refer back to and share with the entire care team would be really critical. I think that's I think really important too, because, you know, sometimes it's better for patients to understand best practice. And just again, from that, from my clinical experience, what you see in the vascular access network, so to speak, outside of the healthcare setting is sometimes there's different home infusion companies, different things like that. And sometimes the preferences of those companies drive a lot of the decisions that are made. Um, you know, we see that locally here in Maine where, well, like, well, this this company really will only care for a pick. They don't have the protocols to deal with midlines outside of the healthcare setting. You know, how do we, for vascular access specialists, this may be not the appropriate device. So there is a lot of gaps. So when I think when you're talking about a public facing education document and giving them the tools, the best practice, they know what to look for. They know how to they ha they're better educated about their device. They're better equipped to know when uh, maybe care is not provided the way it should be, because, our you know, one of our biggest concerns is, you know, infection risks uh, accessing uh, the needleless access device without um, scrubbing the hub and basic things like that. And it becomes a, a, a knowledge point for patients to be able to protect themselves from negative things that shouldn't even be related to their care and infusion. So. 
Please. Well, I was just going to say our goal is to also make this a video series because so many patients have a difficult time either looking at screens or cognitively, you know, reading can be quite hard. Um, and the four ways we really thought about breaking this up is um, first, you know, what is a pick? Because I think so many people don't even know what that is when um, they're told that they need one. That was very much my experience. Um, second, fo- focusing on pick placement and ways to prepare and what happens and what to expect when they go home. Third would be pick care, um, understanding dressing changes, reducing pain, things like you said, scrubbing the hub. You know, I had no idea about any of that from the beginning. <laughs> Um, and finally, just how do you live with this on a daily basis? Because so many times, um, for patients that we've heard from, this is not, you know, a two week thing. It can be months and months, if not years. Right. So Emma, as I look at you, I can tell you have a port and you have a bio patch and your dressing (laughs) looks pristine and that's not the case all the time. Right. (laughs) Woohoo, by the way. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you. Um, all the credit to my sister-in-law. She is an RN. Um, she is my home health care nurse. Um, she also works in a hospital setting out of the kindness of her heart. She volunteers to access my port for me once a week, more than once a week, depending on my need. Um, and you know. That's not something every patient has uh, right at their fingertips. I'm just lucky that my brother married a nurse and that she <laughs> is so passionate about um, patients and, you know, you know, taking an investment in my health care. Um, I live in Wisconsin for those tuning in. And, well, it's a problem that people are facing across the country. There's a nursing shortage. And when I got my port placed, um, and I wanted to transition to home health care to get a better quality of life because I was spending three, four days in an infusion center and then additional time in a hospital setting. Um, I looked into home health care and there was no nurses available to access me and to take care of me. Um, so being the advocate that I am and learning what I have from, you know, Mighty Well and other resources, um, I was able to get things arranged with my sister-in-law. Again, not something all people have, that direct resource. Um, so thankfully, I, uh, I I have the blessing in my life of having these resources. But things like, you know, these guides, like the PIC guide, um, is really crucial for patients who, you know, are maybe dealing with something that onsets, you know, randomly, and they have no idea, you know, for me with a chronic illness, it's just something I've dealt with for years. So I'm used to the terminology. And I've established a foundation of friends with, you know, whether that's um, a pick line, a midline, a, a port, you know, different things. I, I'm well educated, but most definitely that's not the case for most patients. Um, so I, I truly think that having this guide is, um, useful for patients. Um, because as we all know, in the medical field, things never go 
wrong when you're at the hospital and while you're in the, (laughs) you know, you're in the care of, you know, a nurse is in the room or something, things go wrong at, you know, on Christmas morning and, you know, just at the, at the times where you don't want it to go wrong. And we need these, um, these resources available to us, uh, and not just a resource, um, from anyone, but something that's credible and that can be trusted uh, because it's something so serious, like your vascular access. Uh, it's your life. My dad. You're right. Your yeah, lifeline. exactly. It is your lifeline. Um, and and it, right. it's like the most important thing we have. Um, and I even saw that in a caregiver role as well. Um, my father battled sepsis, I think about a year and a half ago. And it was during the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic. He was admitted in the hospital for about two weeks, had a pick line placed, and then was sent home with the pick line to receive care for about two months after. Um, And as most people know, when you have sepsis, things like confusion or lack of memory occur and just not feeling well can lead to, you know, not properly understanding what's going on. You know, if you feel sick, you're not, um, you experience things like brain fog. Um, and when my dad had his pick line placed, he had no idea what was going on, you know, other than this is what the doctor said was happening and this is what he was going to do. Um, thankfully I, you know, knew about what pick lines were from listening to Emily's story and to connecting with other patient advocates. Um, But it was really a turn from this is happening to myself where I need vascular access, but also, you know, watching my dad go through it as well. Um, And, you know, something like the PIC guide would have been helpful for me, whether it was trying to look in, you know, how often does this dressing have to be changed? Um, You know, if you deaccess a port, you can get wet, but with a PIC line, you can't. And you know, those might right. seem like simple things to us, but to people who are just, you know, stepping into this world, they have no idea. So I think something like this would be really beneficial for people who are, you know, maybe experienced chronic illness, um, you know, advocates, but also people who are, you know, just experiencing something like this for the first time. Without a doubt. I can't imagine. I. Blake and I, this is the world we live in, and and so do you guys now too, just mm-hmm. the different side of the, <laughs> the bed, so to speak. But I cannot imagine going home with a device, a vascular access device, and not being educated to the point where I know things that I need to do and understand to keep me safe. Like right. I see these people on Facebook, you know, we're all in the, these Facebook groups with mm-hmm. different patients and different clinicians. And some of the questions these folks ask are just, they're scary because you don't know what you don't know. And you don't want to go to the ER, especially during the pandemic, my goodness, because, you know, you have oozing at the site. Is a little bit of oozing okay? Or is it a lot of, you know, there's, and fortunately, Emma, that you have such a great support system, whether it be your, your sister-in-law, which, you know. Good, good on you, nurse. But um, <laughs> or Emily and her crew, or yeah. whoever. And that's that's a whole part of keeping people safe is having this this team. Your call of yeah. friends, 
Exactly. And I think that everyone deserves to have the support that I've had. Like, there's no reason that patients should ever have to feel alone, even if they feel like they're going through the worst or scariest thing going on. Um, And to not just feel like they're not alone, but to feel that they can be empowered with what's going on, you know, maybe just as simple as wearing a shirt that shows off their medical device, or being confident enough to reach out to someone to get, you know, the care that they need. Um, I think it's like building preventative steps and supporting a person all the way through their care and through all the aspects of their life with that device. True. And a couple of things I know, Emily, you've, you've made your pick protectors pretty and <laughs> different colors. And because body image is another thing that everyone wants to needs to deal with that sometimes you don't want to show off your device. Sometimes you may, but, and I know you've given advice for people to people through your guide on how to travel, how, you know, what to look out for. So tell everybody where they can get a hold of your, your ultimate guide to pick. Thank you, Judy. Um, everyone can find our ultimate guide to picks uh, on mightywell.com and it'll be pushed out through different Ava channels. Um, the videos will eventually live both on YouTube and our own website and platform. Um, and exactly what you said, a lot of the tips that we are providing are things that a clinician is just never going to tell you. For example, how do you get on a plane? You know, how do you navigate TSA? How do you go to the beach? Um, all things that I learned through trial and error or through connecting with other friends in the fight like Emma, who um, may have been going through this longer than me. And um, other places like the Oli Foundation, I learned so much from about how to travel with a medical device. And uh, with our Pick Perfect, we also developed an RX version called the Pick Perfect Pro, which is FDA registered. So we're super excited um, that we'll be able to offer our products both in a clinical setting as well as through e-commerce uh, very soon. And we just want to make sure that if patients are purchasing something like our Pick Perfect, um, a guide is already included. And not only will this help oh, them to deal. be educated, you know, mm-hmm. um, but um, if they want to get more involved there, I would really love to see Ava have even more patient representation. I know there's a great start to that. Um, but as we've been talking about, just going home is, I think, the hardest part. Um, so if we we foster more connections between patients, clinicians, and industry, um, patient outcomes can only get better. I can't think of a better way to end this episode with those words. Mm -hmm. That was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Guys, we can't thank you enough for being on our show today. Blake, as always, you're, you're my, my sidekick, but (laughs) (laughs) forever and never, but guys, thank you so much. Hope to have you back on again. If you would mind. Would be lovely. That would be such a blessing. Thank you so much to everyone at Ava for all that you've done for me, both as a patient and a young entrepreneur. And thank you for um, giving patients like myself the opportunity to share our stories and to be heard um, and to give feedback. Um, It's really important to have that perspective. And it's great that Ava is willing to listen more than willing. You guys are part of us. You guys are us. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for our patients, obviously. Emily, 
you are a veteran when it comes to vascular access challenges. And I want you to tell our viewers a little bit about the challenge that you just went through. You, Ms. Advocate herself. (laughs) Yes, um, this was just last week, and it took me quite a few days to physically and mentally recover. Um, I flew to see a new doctor just outside of Milwaukee, and uh, initially I thought this was going to be kind of an in-and-out trip. Um, I ended up staying for three days uh, to do some intensive IV therapy, and... um, you know, since I thought it was a quick trip, um, you know, didn't bring any of my own access supplies. So I attempted to get peripherals. Um, it took three different nurses, five different tries. Um, I was going to get four different IV therapies. Uh, one of them is ozone therapy, which needs a little bit of a bigger needle. And it was about an hour and a half of them just trying and, oh, I think I got a good one. And I'm like, let me tell you, they roll, they look juicy, but you know, <laughs> they've been accessed for about 10 years now. So um, it was very frustrating as a patient, you know, that balance between I really just need them to get me access so I can start to get the therapy. Whereas at the same time, you know, seeing little things that I know aren't best practices, as well as just the emotional frustration patients go through trying to get access sometimes. So my experience has been with everything from peripherals to PICs to implanted ports. And um, I just feel like it's my calling to help other patients not go through the trials and tribulations that I've gone through as a vascular access long-term patient. Did they use any, any visualization tools when they were trying to get your line? Oh my God. No. No, I've actually never been to a clinic that had any kind of um, guidance system, which I really wish was more available Um, you know, most of my care is in private clinics. So I understand there, you know, it's not a hospital setting quite often and there's costs involved, but the cost is often patients like me having their veins damaged or not even being able to get the access that they need. So long story short, I stayed a whole extra day at this doctor um, to not even be able to be accessed. That's our next challenge. We have yeah. to have no blind sticks. We have to. Yeah. It's going to be a ways coming, but yeah. that's what we need to push for. But it's I thank future. you again so much for telling your story and and stepping up. And again, want to thank you guys so much. You guys are wonderful. I can't wait to see what up you bring out next. Thank, thank you so it. much. Thank you. You can see the entire Ava calendar on the AVA website at www.avainfo.org, which is also where you can join AVA or donate to the AVA Foundation. Don't miss Facebook Fridays, where we are live at noon Eastern time each week. Toss us a question or give us a like. We're on all the social media platforms. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Google Play Music. Okay, folks, here comes the legal stuff. 
The topics discussed on the I Save That series are for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of experienced clinicians before making any decision that affects your health or the health of your patients. Listeners are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal is to inform and educate the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with more experienced clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this program, you agree that the hosts, presenters, guests, sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health, your career, or any decision you make related to any of the information presented. The I Save That series may contain segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the Fair Use Doctrine, as cited in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have specific concerns about this program or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at avaed at avainfo.org. No part of this program shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in part or in any form without prior written consent from the Association for Vascular Access. <laughs>